When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich, the podcast that celebrates conversation with creative people who have a lot to say and a lot to offer. And joining me today is Phil Primack, who's taken on a rather ambitious project quite by accident and developed it into a fascinating book called Put It Down on Paper, The Words and Life of Mary Folsom Blair, A 50-Year Search. Mary Folsom Blair was just a name on a listing sheet when writer and journalist Phil Primack bought her Epping, New Hampshire property in 1974. You'll hear the story of Phil discovering her letters and journals dating back to the late 1890s that brought this woman to life and delivered more than just a glimpse of what life was like for a young Quaker girl coming of age. Put it down on paper, worth exploring here on this podcast as we invite Phil Primack to join us now on mic. This is a bit of a detective story. It must be for a reporter of your experience. Kind of cool to know you stumbled onto this in real life, this mystery that you uncovered. Yeah, I'm used to reporting about other people, other situations. It was quite unusual to do first-person reporting. I've always been a third person. Tell us the backstory, and then we'll get into the lady herself and what you discovered. How did you know that you had something to write a book about? Uh, I was too stupid to know it at first, um, which probably leads to the best of books when you don't try (laughs) to think they're going to be a great book. Touche. I had moved back to the region in the mid-70s, 1974 to be exact. Uh, I was a smart whippersnapper 28-year-old who, of course, wanted to have a small house on the woods on a small pond in New Hampshire, to which a high school friend who was a real estate agency just laughed and said, get in line. Long story short, she ended up showing me a property that was the exact opposite, about 60 acres and a big old ramshackle farmhouse in which I had no interest whatsoever, but I ended up buying it. And skipping all the boring details, I ended up with back land upon which I eventually built a small house. The land was from the estate of Mary Evelyn Folsom Blair. In other words, she was just a name on a real estate listing. She had died the year before. Meant nothing to me. Epping, New Hampshire is a small town. Like most small towns, you start hearing things, words start circulating. And I started hearing, oh, you bought the Mary Blair property. And I just started hearing enough that my reporter bones started to buzz a little bit, started talking to other people. And I met a local historian who had also heard that I'd bought the property. And she said, how much do you know about this woman? I said, nothing. She was a school teacher I'd heard. I heard she was a Quaker, but that was about it. And she lent me the first of what would eventually become four volumes of Mary Folsom's, not yet married, Mary Folsom's, handwritten journals. I read it right away, and every reporter bone in my body said, there have to be more. 
the general tone of writing ability in that era seemed a lot better than it is today. You know, people text today. They don't write letters and journals. But was she unusual to be writing that eloquently? I initially thought that the answer to that question would be yes. It turns out the question is, the answer is probably no. Mm -hmm. It is a staggering statement about everything else is modernized, but I think our basic educational system has declined. She not only wrote eloquently, and over the years I collected a lot of letters to and from her, equally eloquent, without scratch-outs. Almost always these letters were written in consistent longhand. Not only were they written well, her constant allusions to literary characters, mythology, history. When I was writing this book, I had to keep going to Google to look down the references that she routinely wrote as a 15-year-old. Today, she'd be a Rhodes Scholar without question. She was so brilliant. But as you point out, and she points it out, in that era, women, particularly uh, Quaker women, were not expected to go beyond a certain level of education. And we'll talk a little bit about what she ultimately ended up doing in terms of furthering her education. But she was just a natural reader, a voracious reader, would you say? Absolutely voracious. Um as were her peers, interestingly. Um, Reading was a very important thing. And think about the long winters in New Hampshire, long before electronic communication had even radio existed. Reading became something Mm. important. Plus, Mary was the fourth generation of a Quaker family. Quakers were ahead of their time in terms of their view of women getting education, women having independent lives. That helped Mary. Plus, within Quakerism, there is a tradition of keeping journals. So I think Mary had natural strengths, both of which were abetted by those historic facts that she lived into. And by the way, uh, as you point out, the Quaker relevance is still a part of Epping, New Hampshire. There's still the center for Quaker religious gathering, and there, there are friends, that, as they refer to themselves. So it's, it's not died out, but it was certainly pretty strong back in the 1890s, early 1900s, wasn't it? It was much stronger than it was now. And as, as, as I point out in the book, the only reading the West Epping Friends Meeting still lives is because in the 1960s, Mary made sure enough people joined the meeting to keep it alive. She really is, uh, in her own way, a bit of a trailblazer. And again, this story would not have been discovered had you not stepped over it by accident and dug into it. And it's great that you brought it to light. But uh, what I found interesting, she became a teacher, a lifelong teacher, and was sort of... um, ahead of her time in terms of bringing the kids outside, involving students in nature and so forth. She had a lot of innovative ideas is what I'm getting at. Yes, and what's sort of ironic, she her first teaching job at the age of 19 was in the same two rooms, well, at that time, one room schoolhouse that she walked to as a girl. Her first teaching experience in that school, the West Epping Rural School, was so miserable that she vowed in her journals to never set foot in that building again. What happened was some local parents complained about her teaching methods, Mm. which they felt were too loose, that students were allowed to sort of run more free than parents were used to in that time. Ironically, the school in which she vowed to never set foot again 
is where she ended up spending the last 30 years of her teaching. We're talking with Phil Primack. He is the author of an investigation that has brought us a book called Put It Down on Paper, The Words and Life of Mary Folsom Blair, a 50-year search. And it's finally culminated in this uh, really interesting book. What I loved about it is we're reading her words, and then you have an opportunity to offer your interpretation and uh comment on it, which is really interesting, you know, looking at it a hundred years later. Let's talk a little bit about her friends, because she has a, like any young girl, a teenager, she's got friends and she likes boys, and it's very sweet in a way. It's also very uh, sensitive to to her feelings, a lot of death at that point, young people dying. Talk a little bit about her young days as a journalist and as a journal writer. She began keeping her journal at the age of 15, and this would have been in 1880, 1897 would be the first entries. And she acknowledged in her first entry that she was doing it because a lot of her friends were doing it. Mm -hmm. And in later years, she would write, I wonder if they are all still maintaining theirs. We have no way of knowing that, but she basically wrote most of them had dropped off. The first entries describe a very happy, carefree life, skating down frozen rivers, taking wagon rides into town. But then, as you correctly point out, the first what I would call trauma of her life was the death of one of her school chums, mm-hmm. Maud Smith, of pot of typhoid, a very common death, typhus rather, a common death mm-hmm. at that point. That threw Mary into a deep, deep funk, as would the death of her older sister just a year or two later at a very young age, Mary began to question not only sort of the innocent childhood she had had, but even her faith. Mm -hmm. Why would God do something like that? And it began what I would call the beginning of her skeptical view of her whole world, but in a positive way. If this were today, uh, this individual would perhaps seek help and get therapy, talk therapy, or maybe be on medication because she was uh, clinically depressed at times and writes it in very plain English. But also, you can understand why. I mean, there's death, there's loss, there's disappointment. Even when it comes to wooing suitors and suitors wooing her, she goes through uh, what most teenage girls go through, disappointment, (laughs) letdowns. Exactly. And, 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 And she acknowledges her own pink and purple funks. Um, I think probably the favorite entry, she made a point of doing sort of what today we would call a check-in on her birthdays. Every Mm. birthday entry was a thoughtful description, not just of herself physically, which was in itself wonderful, but her inner self. And Her ability to self-critique and self-analyze was just stunning. It's almost like uh, social media for just yourself. You know, you're not putting it out there to the world. (laughs) She's putting it on this parchment and she's writing it. And I mean, a hundred years later, here you are discovering it and we're sharing this life. One of the things that I noted too early on is her attention to uh, the afterlife and wondering and spiritualism. Spiritualism was a pretty strong movement in parts of the world in the late 1800s. What did you read about in her journals when it comes to uh, the afterlife and the spirit world? It it becomes a constant theme in her journals. Um, She combined 
I don't know if she was in spiritual, there's no indications, and you're right, the spiritualism movement was very strong, including in New England in that period. There are no indications that she went to the extent of seances and meetings with mystics, as was common at that point. But it is very clear she believed that they were, she referred to them as ghostly figures or fairies. She combined her love of mythology and her belief in mythology with spiritualism. And she wrote eloquently of nymphs and fairies that she would envision inhabiting the world in which she walked. Mm. Talking here about this woman, Mary Folsom Blair. Let's get to the Blair part, if we can, the marriage It's later in life. For a young lady, back in those days, uh, most of them were married, what, in 18, 19, 20? And then if they didn't do that, they would be, quote-unquote, old maid material. She referred to herself shortly before she did get married as the spinster is, was, and ever shall be. (laughs) Um, Before we get to her marriage to Mr. Blair, we need to get into her previous deep loves. Of course, sure. Her first sort of chum, as she would refer to him, was his, was a young guy, farmer's son from the neighboring town of Raymond, New Hampshire, Will Smith. She had a clear crush on Will, was probably her first crush. Will ended up enlisting for the Spanish-American War. And it's a, it's a bit of a tangent, but probably the single most powerful document I found in this whole search was a letter she got from Will Smith in 1898. He was stationed in Huntsville, Alabama. There was an incident which history has recorded as the Buffalo Soldier Massacre. Hmm. Black soldiers had their own separate regiments. One of those regiments returned it for recuperation in Alabama. Will Smith was an ambulance driver. They were assaulted and killed by a white regiment. And I, in the journal, like in the book, I quote, Will's letter to his chum Mary describing in firsthand detail that incident. Things ended with Will. Mary explored a few relationships, but her deepest loves came with two women. Mm. One named Marion, but the second, the woman I believe was the love of her life, a woman named Anne Reed. Anne became her true, what we would today call a soul mate. Mm-hmm. She loved Anne deeply. The nature of that love is something we can speculate on. We don't know. People who write of female relationships of that era note that they were very physically close. They would hold hands. They would hug in public because men of that era couldn't believe there could be anything more between women Mm. than just sort of friendly affection. Uh, So we don't know the depth of the relationship, but... Anne Reed ended up marrying a man and moving to Arkansas, which broke Mary's heart. But it might have also paved her willingness to explore, finally, relationships with men. And she ended up, while teaching in Massachusetts, a man named Edmund Blair. She met him while out ice skating. Edmund Blair was an active skater. She loved skating. She arranged to meet the man. She ended up calling him her hero on ice and ended up marrying him, as you point out, what was then regarded as a 
pretty old age. She was 36. Yeah, it's interesting, too, the love letters back and forth. His letters to her are uh, amorous. There's a lot going on in those letters. I miss your kisses. I, You know, it's very passionate uh, for that era. A- a- astonishingly passionate. Yeah. And he wrote them almost every day. Because they lived apart for a while. She was teaching in Massachusetts. And to avoid the draft, quite frankly, the World War I draft, Edmund had arranged for himself to get a job at the Portsmouth Navy Yard, which made him exempt Mm -hmm. from the draft. Yeah, she was hoping desperately that he wouldn't be drafted and killed, obviously, and millions hoped the same for their bows. But uh, that was an interesting story. They lived together then as a married couple for many, many years following that. Uh, She outlived him, but sounds like they had a happy life together. Yeah, the local gossip was that Edmund and Mary, yeah, they were okay. Every indication I have, Edmund's letters, Mary's journal, the relatively few letters I found from Mary to Edmund, it was a deep love. Um, And it was not a love that came easily. He was a French-Canadian Catholic, to her very deep-rooted Yankee Quaker. When they did get married, it was at a small civil ceremony in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. No member of her family attended. Uh, very commonplace when you have strong religious backgrounds, whatever. There's an interesting sidebar when you were investigating this back in the 1990s. You were able to speak with some of her students who were then in their 80s, I guess, some of her students from the, uh, from the old days. What did you learn from some of these uh, lovely folks when you met them? These students, I think all of us always remember a certain teacher. I think all of us look back on our lives and hopefully understand the important role that a certain teacher or a certain class played. What struck me among these former students, and of course they're now all dead, experiences they had with Mary truly shaped their lives. And when I would meet them, and as you correctly point out, by the time I interviewed them, mostly in the 1980s, they were 70s. 80s themselves, they recalled not very little of what they actually learned Hmm. in the classroom, which I found interesting. What they most remembered was the independence that she taught them. Mary had an approach to teaching that I think would probably get her either delicensed or possibly arrested (laughs) today. She routinely walked her class from the one-room schoolhouse, which was just walking distance from her house. She never drove a car in her entire life. She would walk them through the woods five or six miles to a camp that she had on Patuckaway Lake. Every student who participated in those hikes recalled them as highlights of their days, highlights of their lives. Mm. In the winter, they'd go skating. In the summer, she'd put a note on the classroom wall that said, class resumed at the swimming hole. Hmm. She'd send the students home for their bathing suits. They'd go swimming. She taught most of them to swim. Um, Absolutely lifelong impressions. And she ended her career in that same schoolhouse, teaching them history through pageants. She wrote historic plays and pageants, one of which was even recorded by the British Broadcasting Company to give a British audience a sense of the 
learning that goes on in a, in a New Hampshire classroom. Sadly, the British Broadcasting Company had no record of that oh, recording. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Uh, towards the end of the story, we, we realized the town recognized her contributions. Didn't they name something after her? Yes, a park, a, a nearby park that was once her land. It's the now the Mary Folsom Blair Park. I, I don't know what other people have told you after reading this and getting into it, but the one takeaway more than anything else is that uh, every life matters. And the most insignificant uh, New Hampshire resident had a lot of significance because we she chronicled it. So I'm uh, I'm talking about the significance of people, but also the the real importance of writing things down. You don't have to be a Phil Primack because you're a great writer, but you can be anybody. You can be Mary, who was a terrific writer, or just an ordinary person who needs to let the story be told. It's a it's a legacy builder. I think that's a really good point and a really important one. And you know, I I I wonder now as I meet very young relatives and others who are not even learning cursive, mm. who cannot read cursive. Mm-hmm. How is that information being communicated? Mary and all of her peers not only wrote well, they wrote long narratives. They wrote continuous thoughts, and they wrote them eloquently, as opposed to a gener- generations, now plural, to whom communication is our short, disconnected bursts of phrases. And I know I'm, I'm going to get the thank you boomer thing here, and I fully acknowledge it and confess to it. But I don't know, you're right about com- trying, everybody can communicate, can record their own lives. Can you do it in short characters and well, short phrases? Well, that and the fact that it's all being recorded digitally as opposed to, I'm sure it was a fountain pen back then or quill of some kind uh, on paper. And I think that's the beauty of it. So you having access to this are the messenger from the future bringing the past back to life. I think that's a terrific honor, I would imagine, for somebody like you. It was It was just an honor. I almost felt a responsibility. Once I realized how brilliant she was, I, I, I almost felt an obligation to share it. But I also went through an ethical dilemma. This was a private journal. Mm. These were her very, as you point out, sometimes very intimate letters, very intimate thoughts. Did I have the right to share it? Um, The title of the book comes from something she wrote in her journal. She asked herself in a particularly revealing section, quote, shall I put it down on paper? And she decided, yes, she should. And that if People discovered those words, knowing that she did not want them to be shared. Too bad. You were warned. I resolved my ethical dilemma by talking to her former students, the surviving family, all of whom encouraged me to get this story out. Just like a true blue reporter, a guy who goes after the who, what, when, where, why, and uh, checks his sources many times. We've had a great back and forth on email, you and me, over the last couple of weeks and months setting up this interview. And uh, I, I, I note you have a, a wry sense of New England humor. The one thing I wanted to end with was she does have a sense of humor, I think, in her own way uh, that you see come out. She looks at things with a, a crooked eyebrow and I like that. I like the fact that she's a bit of a rebel in a difficult place to be a rebel. 
absolutely true. And I think one of my favorite things, one of her very stated intentions in her journal is to write down descriptions of new acquaintances. And those descriptions are just stunning. They're witty, they are incisive, and they're, they're, they're compelling reading, but they're also, as you point out, the reflections of a very agile wit. Very much so, very much so. The book is called Put It Down on Paper, The Words and Life of Mary Folsom Blair, a 50-year search. The man who did that searching and did the research and did the collecting, if you will, and the analysis, I should say, is Phil Primack. Phil, delightful to meet you, and uh, congratulations on a job well done. And I appreciate your appreciation of the book and taking this time. Thank you to Phil Primack. Find out more about his book. Go to loompress.com. That's L-O-O-M, loompress.com. Put it down on paper, The Words and Life of Mary Folsom Blair, a 50-year search, also available at amazon.com. Thanks for the publishing help from Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to the studios of Chart Productions in Boston, and to you and the ever-growing audience. Appreciate you subscribing and downloading the podcast, and your ratings and reviews really make a difference. Find out more about all of this at jordanrich.com. And until next time, as always, we want you to be well so you can do good. Take care. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.